0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hey
1: everyone, it's Kristen. So if you've been following along, then you know that this is Counter Jam week. We are doing sort of a a Counter Jam Genius Recipe Tapes takeover for a couple reasons. I am finishing up the Genius Beginner Book Manuscript, which is kind of a a life takeover, and I'm, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to share a new show that we have been running at the Food 52 Podcast Network, Counter Jam, a podcast about food and music and culture from host Peter J Kim who is here to tell us a little bit more about this episode which is very near and dear to my heart. Hi Peter. Hello. So, can you tell us a little bit about this episode and how you you decided to dive into New York City as an identity?
2: Yeah, I you know, I thought it would be interesting since the the first episode looked at a sort of uh, ethnic cultural identity. Uh, I wanted to kind of switch the lens a little bit um, and look at how place defines us as well. And so, I, you know, I'm a New Yorker, and I thought it would be quite interesting to look at well, what is the the identity of New York City, through, spec- specifically looking at it through uh, food. And uh, and of course, New York City is an interesting case study because it is really in a way, defined by its diversity. And um, that's what this show is really all about, is uh, kind of trying to uh, get different perspectives on the incredibly diverse, multifaceted landscape that is the New York City food world.
1: It made me miss New York so much. I, I lived there for 13 years, and I just last year moved back to Northern California. And the way that you approached it and the different food subjects that that came up just made me want to be back there. And it also taught me new things about the city that I had lived in for 13 years. Like, I didn't actually realize that halal carts were kind of a New York-specific institution.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think um, that's, that's one of the takeaways I hope people get from this is that uh, – there is no one way to look at New York city food and what one person looks at and says, ah, New York city is all about bagels and pizza and, you know, pastrami. Another person will say, no, actually it's all about, um, you know, tacos or it's all about, uh, rotis or West Indian curries. And, you know, we all have, it's, it's such a vast, there's such a vast range of possibilities in New York city that, um, that people can kind of find their own groove in the city. And, um, but we do zoom in in the episode on certain things that are rather unique to the city. And one of those things is halal carts, which mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by. They are not quite South Asian, not quite Middle Eastern, and they are, they are explicitly halal, but yet they really have pretty broad appeal and you can see them all over the city, of course, and they're delicious.
1: I, yeah. I You made me miss them so much, both through just evoking the, the taste of like diving into a platter of chicken and rice and just like how excited you and your guests were to talk about each of these things too but like i miss having those conversations about food too
2: indeed and i mean the the guests on this episode are just so good so we have uh, jeroby white who's one of the founding members of a tribe called quest and you know if you like hip-hop um, as i do then a Tribe Called Quest has this sort of vaunted status and to even be talking to him about what they ate when they were like teenagers and first like developing the concept for the group was amazing. Um, and then the other guest, of course, is Khalees, who grew up in Harlem. And in a way, she embodies the multifacetedness of New York City by just being such an incredibly uh, talented uh, artist and chef and musician and, you know, so many things all at once. Um, and yeah, we we really just get into the various parts. and the and the thing is, they both just love New York City and it, it shines throughout this whole episode.
1: I found myself wondering as I was listening, how did you find guests that were both like lifelong New Yorkers or not lifelong, but who had grown up in New York, who were musicians and also had become chefs? Like, did you just happen to know that these people were out there, or did you do research to find, you know, the right? The right combination of things to fit into the podcast.
2: Uh, in this case, I was pretty lucky. I mean, I, I've known Jerobi for a few years now, and Kalise and I were in touch a couple years ago, and so I just happened to have at my fingertips. I'm like, oh yeah, these are people who are just like they straddle both the food and music world, and and are from New York City, and so it it was a pretty uh, a pretty easy um, a pretty easy process for for figuring out who I wanted to have on.
1: Amazing. Well, um, it's an excellent and very nostalgic episode for anyone who has has loved and lived in New York and for anyone who just wants to visit as soon as they can. So uh, thank you so much for sharing it, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear it.
2: Yes, I hope you enjoy.
3: If you are able to leave your immediate neighborhood and to travel to other people's neighborhoods, you will be able to taste the globe in New York City intelligence
4: I the relevance I spit the full eloquence immaculate the and anything that I much
2: what's going on I'm Peter J Kim and this is counter jam the new show on food 52's podcast network that explores culture through food and music on this episode we're talking NYC my city the city that never sleeps and the city that always eats Alright, on this episode, we're gonna dig into New York City hot dog carts, halal carts, bodega sandwiches, and so much more with two incredible musicians, Jerobi White and Kalise. Both are born and raised New Yorkers, and both are music legends who went on to pursue culinary careers. You might know Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest, but we're kicking it off with a hot beat from another group he started with fellow MC Dress. The group's called Evita. So this song is called Keep Keeping On, and to me, it captures one thing that is baked into the city's identity, grit. New York City is full of people who get their ass kicked and keep finding ways to keep keeping on. So here's Jerobe on the mic.
3: In the to see if shit got them quotes. Baby, if you like me, just post. There'll be another dose of what to leave written. Wordplay differently prone to the kittens, they easily smitten with a unique physique. Rhymes on repeat, wild child mystique. Jar of Obi-Wan jewels when I school fools. Roby One plus women equal rule pools. You got a whack shop, you use poor tools. You play a bad game with the wrong rules. I'm pretty friendly with the empty. Your styles are valid, definitely empty. So if you run up, please be friendly cause I gotta itchy back at. So please don't check me.
4: The light shine to watch your lifetime. Dig deep inside, keep my timeline. Was strong, right, wrong, right, door, keep, keep, and door. Let the light shine to watch your lifetime. Dig deep inside, keep my timeline. Was strong, right, wrong, right, door, keep, keep, and
2: Yes, yes, keep keeping on. That is Jarobi and Dress of Evitan with Keep Keeping On. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube. This episode is all about New York City. So on the one hand, it's a little absurd to try to talk about the city's food culture because in a way, that assumes that there even is one food culture. I mean, there's this pop culture idea of New York City being a place for boozy brunches, thin crust pizza, fancy fine dining, cronuts, and so on. But that version only applies to a very tiny subset of the people who live here. I mean, if you're a Ghanaian immigrant in the Bronx, you probably have no idea what a cronut is. Ultimately, New York City food culture really is a refraction of who you are. But what's phenomenal about New York City is this. Whoever you are or whatever it is you want, the city can probably serve it up. So let's dig into two perspectives on New York City food. First up, I talked to my man, Jeroby White. Jerobi is one of the founding members of A Tribe Called Quest. But not only is he a hip-hop pioneer, he knows his food. Jerobi went to culinary school and is an accomplished chef. Most importantly, he was born in the Bronx and grew up in St. Albans, a neighborhood in Queens. I want to start by asking you, since you're living in Miami right now, what uh, food from NYC are you missing right now?
3: Pizza, definitely. Pizza all day, definitely. And um also some good Chinese food. There's no good Chinese food down here.
2: What? You know, oh my gosh, it's terrible, man. Wait. So first of all, what's the pizza like down in Miami?
3: Um, there's some pizza that's good, you know what I mean? But it's not the New York thin crust pizza. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, they don't yeah. they don't have the water, so it'll never be the same.
2: That's right. That's one of those yeah. things I love about New York is like you could walk into pretty much any slice joint and you're gonna walk out with a good slice. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe with the exception of, like, the dollar slice places, which I'm not knocking, man. I mean, I've eaten plenty of dollar slices.
3: Like, four in the morning, those dollar slices are perfect. (laughs) That's right.
2: That's right. I wouldn't call them the pinnacle of, like, pizza creation, but, but, you know. It
3: it serves its function very well.
2: Bang for your buck, literally. Uh, (laughs) Now, going to the Chinese food, though, what is it about NYC Chinese food that you're missing?
3: Well, authenticity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... You know, in New York, you can go to Chinatown and get a plate of some duck, some barbecue, um, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, some barbecue ribs and all that stuff for five bucks over some white rice and a little bit of cabbage.
2: Oh, yeah.
3: You yeah. know what I mean? And that's the, the fire, the authentic, the a- authentic Chinese food is, you know, that's what I like. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, we have, you know, uh, the panda joints and stuff like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
2: You know uh yeah i mean if in new york we actually you know we've got multiple Chinatowns, and so you could really yeah. like pick your pick and i mm-hmm. mean there's it's true like i i've i would say like my my dream day is just like walking around flushing or walking around Manhattan, i was just Chinatown. about to say queens i was just about yep. to say Queens.
3: Yeah. flushing is that's if you want to get the authentic asian experience even an authentic latin american experience oh yeah flushing is the place to go
2: yeah. Well, the whole seven train, man, you just go yeah, down that whole train. Seven train. You could just like close your eyes and get out the door, walk down and walk into the first place. You get out of the train That's right. and That's it's right. going to be, maybe it's an arepa. Maybe it's oh. like, you know, oh, yeah. maybe it's like Nepali curry or like, you don't know. It's, yeah, it's going to be I so, know. it's going to be good. I talked to Jerobi about the early days with a tribe called quest, how they met and of course what they ate. You're a man of, of many, many talents uh, oh, you're a trained you. chef, you're yeah. a hip-hop pioneer, an MC, uh, And of course, notably, you're one of the founding members of A Tribe Called Quest, which, no lie, one of my f- all-time favorite hip-hop groups. Thank you, uh, thank you, brother. My, my friends would laugh because when, the, you know, I used to always like throw parties and I mean, the first tracks that would always go on, they'd be like, oh, there's Peter putting on his tribe. i was just so predictable
3: yeah thank you i appreciate that
2: (laughs) Uh, one thing that never ceases to amaze me is just how far back you go with q-tip and with with fife rest in peace yeah and so you know take me back to those early days when you first moved to st albans in queens
3: oh man well um Definitely felt like a fish out of water at first because I had come from the Bronx at that point, and it was a little rougher than what I was used to. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, my parents got me in exile in Queens. You know what <laughs> I mean? Until I started feeling my way around, you know what I mean? And and Fife and Tip were a really big part of that um, with uh, their families. You know what I mean? Because they're all very family-oriented, so I was just automatically just taken into their families.
2: Yeah, yeah. And And how did you first – make that musical connection with fife
3: uh I, there was a mutual his name is lee bostic shout out lee what's up lee lee met me and he was like oh my gosh i have this friend you have to meet if you guys will get along so well you know what i mean and um i met fife at first and i was like oh i don't like that kid what are you, what are you talking about you know what <laughs> i mean and he was like and you guys are like 10 or 11 years old right now right 10 11 absolutely yeah. and um then he was like no no you guys got it wrong so he set us up he made us uh meet him at the video game place. And we're playing video games. He started a conversation about basketball and he kind of stepped out of the conversation. And it was me and Fife talking to each other before we knew it. You look up from playing the video games, like, oh, are you kidding me? So I was like, oh, I guess you're cool. You know what I mean? And so we left, <laughs> walked outside and I just started doing a beatbox. He was like, oh my gosh, you do the beatbox I rap. I was like, well, kick a rap. And I did the beatbox and we're like, oh, wow, this is dope. You play basketball? Yeah, come on, let's go to the court. So we walked to the walk to the basketball court and I'm doing a big box. He's rapping and we got along famously. And he was like, yo, you got to be my, my boy. You know what I'm saying? I was like, okay, cool. So we walked to the other basketball basketball court. I see this dude with these long shoulders shooting free throws. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yo, this is my friend. P-tip. I was like, Oh, Hey, what's up? You know what I mean? And it was on from there.
2: And they were Were they already doing music together?
3: Um, yeah, they were definitely writing raps together
2: because from what
3: I heard at eight, nine years old, uh, uh, Malik uh, Fife went up to Q-Tip and was like, I'm rapping now. I feel like you should do the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's how they started.
2: That's crazy. And then how did Ali Shaheed Muhammad get thrown into the mix too? Q-Tip went to high school and he went to this high school called Murray Berksham High School.
3: And that high school was, uh, insane. Um, the jungle brothers went there. Um, the guys from, uh, what is the name of the group? Uh, Blackwatch, um, yep. X-Clan. Yep. And there were a couple of other famous dudes there. So that high school was like a who's who of a lot of early, really influential hip hop.
2: That is crazy.
3: And Ali went to that school and he was like, yo, I got this DJ. He's nice. His name is, his name is Shahid. He's nice. And he was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then at 14 at 14 years old we start making demos as well
2: yeah crazy and while you guys were doing that music were you going out to eat at all i mean i don't really know i grew up in the midwest so right. i have no idea what it's like to be you know at that age in, in new york city right so
3: um like i said they went to murray berksham which was in the city yeah. It was uh, it's right next door to City Hall. So it was a very a bustling and popping environment. And what was pop- yeah. was popular back then was the dirty water hot dogs and the pretzels.
2: Wait, tell me what the dirty water hot dog, you mean from like the hot dog cart? Yeah, the hot right? dog Where cart, just sitting yeah. Like, yep, 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 just yep, sitting yep, in the yep, water
3: yep. all day. Those used to be the best hot dogs to us back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they, and oh, yeah. they, and they also had potato knishes. Yeah. They had the potato knishes. they bust them down and put the mustard and the onions in them.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I have I have a theory about the the hot dog water carts, so I think, like, the thing that those guys have as an advantage over you trying to make a hot dog at home is that water, right? Because they've been yes. making hot dogs in that for God knows how God long. God knows how long. And the thing is, that is some intensely flavored hot dog <laughs> stock I, right there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And like,
3: <laughs> it's like he's braising I mean, at that point. It's like he's braising hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
2: that's right. That's right. No, it's actually a secret ingredient, and If you could buy like a quart container of that hot dog stuff, I think that would be gold. Yeah. Like the things you could make with that. (laughs) It would. I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, I feel the same way about bodega like egg and cheese sandwiches. It's the grill. It's a grill. Exactly. Right. So like you got all those layers of of onions and eggs and bacon just going right into those eggs. Yes.
3: There's nothing like it.
2: For the listeners out there who aren't familiar with New York City. As diverse as the city is, one thing that's damn near ubiquitous is the deli, also known as the bodega. These are 24-hour stores where you can buy the essentials, beer, soda, cigarettes, spam, chips, toilet paper, light bulbs, flowers, produce, anything you might need. The inventory of a neighborhood bodega is a reflection of what people need on a daily basis within, say, a three-block radius. In some, you'll see bags of chicharron and boxes of yuca. In others, you'll see homemade tofu and jars of kimchi. Most bodegas have a deli counter. A wondrous place where you can order all kinds of things. Jamaican-style beef patties, Caesar salad, chicken over rice, french fries, turkey sandwiches, and so many other things. You can waltz up to one of these counters and talk to the guy about your sandwich hopes and dreams, and they'll be able to put together something that looks like that. God, I love New York City bodegas. Of course, one of the best things that bodegas do are egg sandwiches, as Jarobi and I were discussing. Back to that conversation. So, like, I have, like, a scorecard, like, a mental scorecard when I go into a bodega Mm -hmm. and I get myself a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, do they toast the bread properly? Like, like, on the griddle, not like like, a toaster thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, are they, like you know, are the, are the eggs hammered or is it like, you know, cooked right or, you know, how, are they putting, I, I like a two slice of American cheese kind of guy. But oh, like somebody just yeah. put one or two, no, but I no, no. need two. You
3: need two. And I that's need, right. I need you to put, I need you to cut my roll. I need you to put bread or, or butter on it. It's gotta be some that's butter right. on it and then toast oh, yeah. it. You know what I mean? We yep. just, you know, I'm, 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 an old guy. So before the toasters, that's how they did everything. You yeah. yeah. I mean, cut, cut it in half, That's right. put some butter on it and throw it on the grill. That's how everything went.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that is like almost precisely ten times better than what you get. Oh, <laughs> no question. into a toaster. No question. No question.
3: No question. No question. And they have to. Have, so, they have to have the salt and pepper blend in the shaker. Not, not right. separately. It's got to be one shaker.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and that's,
3: right. that's the other thing too. I don't know what that. You know what that is about, but.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, no. When I get mine, I always. I, I mean, I could say it in my sleep, but you know egg and cheese, salt pepper, hot ketchup,
3: well, I say, oh, salt pepper, hot sauce, yeah, yeah salt pepper, ketchup. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's, and that's the <laughs> other thing is like the hot sauce varies from, from deli to deli. Oh, no so like question. the, the Korean delis have a certain kind, they'll, you know, have, like the sriracha or whatever, mm-hmm. but then like the Tunisian delis will have like, you know, or the Yemeni, Yemeni delis mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. have like a certain kind of hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And then they've got like the Latino bodegas, have got like the Valentino or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so like, just depending on where you go, you get a different kind of hot Absolutely. sauce. Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to have a little acidity in my egg and cheese. Right so on. I'm gonna be I'm all about the Valentina um yeah. over like Sriracha, but um yeah.
3: And the Cholula's good too. The Cholula's so good too.
2: Oh yeah, 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 Well, n- not that I think about this a lot or anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. You're gonna see the the logo for this show is actually an an egg on a tech twelve. Oh, it's like uh that's like the egg is my spirit protein. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. Speaking of bodegas, what's your chopped cheese experience like? So I, you know what? I mean, I can't say that I am I am a connoisseur of chopped cheeses. Like, so I, right now I live in Williamsburg, and before that I was in the East Village. So I've had chopped cheeses in those two neighborhoods. Right, 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 right. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean... I love it. I yeah. mean, it's delicious. Yeah. Do I know whether it's like what you would get in the Bronx? I haven't had a chopped cheese in the Bronx. Right on,
3: right on. But you come so, from the Midwest, so you guys had loose meat sandwiches, yes?
2: No, not where oh, I was. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. I I well, I grew up I grew up in like cornfields of Illinois. Oh, a okay, uh, town okay. called Danville, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's casserole country. Casserole
3: country. Yeah.
2: You know, mm-hmm. tater tots And what I call Midwestern bechamel, the cream of mushroom soup.
3: (laughs) I've never heard that before. That's dope. (laughs) That's dope.
2: It's what it is. I mean, it's like a creamy, like umami-rich sauce that you just Mm -hmm. drop on the things, and it's like same function, same function, same
3: function. Yep, yep, yep. That's
2: amazing. That is amazing. A tribe called Quest's first album, People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, dropped in 1990, and man, what a sound! Jazzy hooks, crunchy beats, laid-back rhymes. It's a sound that rocked my world and defined my adolescence. I had to ask Tirobi about the food behind this album.
3: We had kind of of like a system of how to do things. If we were staying in a neighborhood to create, there was this West Indian restaurant called Jeans, and we would get either the curry chicken or the um, brown stew chicken or some oxtails maybe, and you had to, mm. and, and the thing that we used to do when we was little, they would always give this little side salad that consisted of like three pieces of lettuce, one, <laughs> one slice of tomato and one long slice <laughs> on the bias on the longest bias you've ever seen before. You know what I'm saying? The <laughs> <laughs> longest my seen before. And they would give you this little container of like a one ounce, one ounce souffle of uh, Italian dressing. This Italian dressing they used to make. And we, yep. and we would pour that over the rice. With whatever gravy they had. And it was so amazing.
2: Some of my favorite spots in New York City are restaurants like Jeans Caribbean restaurants, where you can discover a rich tapestry of flavors derived from the region's many cultural influences. Oxtail-stuffed rotis bursting at the seams. Trinidadian doubles, which are little bundles of chickpea curry joy. Jerk everything. And don't get me started on the seafood stews of Puerto Rico, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. Now... I would be remiss to not point out that these cultures didn't collide willingly. Quite to the contrary. Slavery, the forced movement of people, and indentured servitude brought them together. This is one of the most painfully poignant parts of food culture. The beauty of so many cuisines arises out of very dark pasts. Back to my conversation with Jerobi, it so happens that one member of a tribe called Quest, Five Dog, was Trinidadian. Fife tragically passed away in 2016, but he is remembered as one of the most gifted MCs in hip-hop history, and he did not shy away from his culture's food.
3: Every chance that he would get, he would eat something, he would try to get some West Indian food. I'm chilling. you, everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. and anywhere, he always found the West Indian places everywhere we went. He was like the literal encyclopedia of West Indian places to eat around the globe. It's like he's got his <laughs>
2: roti antenna or something.
3: Oh, dude! Yeah, he definitely has a roti antenna. It's curry antenna, <laughs>
2: definitely. <laughs> is that what he ordered when he would go? Oh yeah, oh yeah, curry. Yeah, you
3: know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Brown soup chicken. We used to eat that a lot. Brown soup chicken.
2: Yeah, mm. no. I my my go to is I will rock uh, doubles uh, goat goat curry and always I get a side of kalu if they have it. Cause uh, I just,
3: I oh, just Fife used to love kalu too because his grandmother. You know he's Trinidadian. So we grew up, I mean, I, I guess that's what it is. We grew up eating that food. So that's what yeah. we're accustomed to.
2: Speaking of Caribbean cultures, one thing you'll see all over New York City is the Puerto Rican flag. There's a huge Puerto Rican community, also known as a New Rican community, that by some counts numbers nearly 1 million. And let me tell you, a lot of them know how to get down. I love summertime in New York City when you see the Puerto Rican flags flying high, the grills fired up, and the music pumping. I want to play the song by Nicodemus with Tempo and the Candela All Stars, which evokes the mood perfectly for me. It's called Conmigo, and it's all about having a good time.
4: Se quede ahí parado. Y si no encuentra pareja, tiene que bailar soleado. Ven para que goces conmigo. No hay quien se quede sentado. Lo no tengo para gozar.
2: I'll be talking to Kilis, a multi hyphenate artist whose work bridges cultures and disciplines coming up after this.
1: Most of us want to be better, but we're not sure where to begin. Well, this year, you have Chris Duffy to help you. Tune into Ted's new weekly podcast to hear from guests and past speakers who might just make you a better human. How to be a better human, your guide to becoming a little less terrible. Listen now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: I talked to Kelis, a multi-platinum musician, fashion icon, and chef who grew up in Harlem. You might know her from a certain song about a certain thing that brought the boys to the yard. I've definitely gotten down to that track more times than I can count. But the thing that's perhaps lesser known about Kelis is how she and her music wholly embody the diversity and eclecticness of the city. Take a spin through her later albums and you'll see she's an incredibly versatile musician. In particular, I love her album called Food, (laughs) appropriately enough. Which brings together the sounds of Fela Kuti, Bob Dylan, and Nina Simone in one funky, timeless package. We talked about her experience growing up in Harlem. I should note that, badass that she is, she was breastfeeding her baby while doing this interview. That's why you'll hear some awfully cute noises here and there.
0: When I was pregnant with my oldest son, I remember like I was craving Polish food. And, like, I grew up, you know, and every Sunday after church, we would go somewhere to eat. And a lot of times we'd go down to, like, um, to a place called Teresa's. Oh, yeah. And we'd get, like, you know, potato pancakes and blitzes and pierogies and lox and all that stuff. And, you know, then, like, later on, I remember going to uh, Brooklyn looking for, like, Polish food and just wanting kielbasa and, like, (laughs) you know, and then thinking about, like, the kind of, like, Greek food we used to eat in, like, Astoria, Queens. Or, like, all the, like, great Indian food um, oh, yeah. in Queens as well. You know, I'm just, like, literally there's there's nothing you can want for, I feel like, and not find a <laughs> pocket of people that are making the best of it. Growing up in New York, like, it just sort of changes your your perspective out the gate. You know, it's like there was nothing that was that foreign to me ever just because growing up it was always right there on that little island. And just be like, oh, yeah, let's go get, you know jamaican food or let's have pierogies or let's have you know go to get like benin or whatever it was literally like especially because my mom's a chef so she had a huge knowledge of food but we grew up just eating everything
2: well your childhood couldn't be a more stark contrast with mine i grew up in the cornfields of illinois Ah. where (laughs) (laughs) i mean the extent of like diversity in food was going to maybe like the chinese-american restaurant in the world and that was that was basically where's your family from originally my family's korean-american okay and my my dad moved we i grew up in a town called danville illinois and we went there because my dad got a engineering job there but uh, you know we were we were just one of a handful of korean american families right. in, in town and and you know even there were just wasn't even much of an asian american community there right and so yeah i mean i i just i remember my brother coming back from college when i was like eight or nine years old and he came back and made pesto (laughs) and it just rocked my world (laughs) that is so funny you know i mean and to think like my kid now my kid's like a little over two and a half years old he's like at injera he eats like you know He ate. He ate at the goddamn Bernardin, right? Like as one of his first restaurant meals. No, it's so funny. I
0: look at my kids too. Like we laugh because, like, obviously I'm a chef and like I'm always trying to buy ingredients and just interesting things. But they get so spoiled and they get so accustomed that that becomes their norm, which is obviously so different than ours. Like, you know, my son will be like, "Can you put truffle in the eggs?" And you're like, "What? (laughs) Like, no." (laughs) You're like, "Are you kidding?" Like it's just a whole different thing. It's just so funny. Like yeah, oh, to think about like how we grew up and how our kids are growing up. It just makes me laugh. I'm glad it's not just my kids though.
2: <laughs> and so your version of that though was you were you were in Harlem. Yeah. And of course you had the world at your fingertips in New York City, but what was what was cooking like at home? Who was cooking at home, and what kind of stuff were you eating?
0: Well, my mom is Chinese and Puerto Rican, so we grew up eating a lot of like. Like the China Latina thing, which is very common in New York, which I didn't realize wasn't a thing anywhere else.
2: (laughs) China Latina is yet another cuisine born out of the collision of cultures. Here, Chinese cultures and Latin cultures that arose out of the movement of Chinese migrants to various Caribbean countries. In Calisa's case, Puerto Rico.
0: Like I'd be like, yeah, like China Latina, they're like... We don't know what that is. <laughs> They're like, that's so weird. Those two. I'm like, it's actually not weird. It's my entire family. So <laughs>
2: like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's it's my, that's delicious. My
0: life. Yeah, I'm like, it's my yeah. life. It's delicious. My mom was the cook, so she would cook all kinds of stuff. Um, I think I realized like how much, how much more lat, like Afro Latin, I am now as an adult. Now that I do cook, than I thought as a kid. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize how Puerto Rican I really was. Yeah. <laughs> Because I identify with being black, like I'm black, and like that's how I was raised and but like the food really kind of yeah is a nod to a whole other side of my family that like I didn't really realize until I had to start digging deep and really thinking about who I wanted to be as a chef and who I was naturally and all that stuff. and I was like oh, damn, like I'm really very Puerto Rican.
2: Uh, so what were some of your mom's dishes that that called out to you when you think about that? that Puerto Rican culinary identity.
0: We grew up eating like the whole roast pig. Like that was oh, yeah. definitely like, and it's funny. Cause yeah, like Chinese culture and then also Puerto Rican culture. It's similarly, they both like a whole roast pig is like that means happy holiday time. Like that's Oh just, yeah.
2: Was it, did you guys do it in a box? Like the kahajina? Like a
0: kahachina. We Well, we, yeah, we didn't have like, we didn't have a cachina so my mom would like just roast that whole sucker. Um, In the... Where? Well, my mom, because again, because my mom was a chef, so she had, like, a... We had a restaurant, like, massive oven in our house growing up. Like, the big, like... It looks like diesel engine type thing. Like, it just oh, looks like. what
2: a dream. Yeah,
0: we grew up like that. So, like, she would just stick, I mean, it was huge. And she would just stick the whole thing in there.
2: Wow, I don't think that many people grew up with a whole pig-sized. Yeah,
0: probably not. But that was definitely a regular <laughs> thing for us. Um, yeah. And then, like, so yeah, the pernil, and she would always make that. And, like, we would mm. fight over, like, the butt, because that tail was so crispy, and it was so good. Oh, yeah. And then, like, lots of, like, rice things. So, like, you know, like arroz con gandules or rice and peas. It's so funny, though. This is actually hilarious. So, recently, we had, like, a family, like, a little family gathering at our house. And my husband, (laughs) my husband's been doing, like, a cabbage cleanse. It's like a whole pro- probiotic thing, whatever.
2: I mean, I'm Cor- I'm Korean, by the way, so, like, my diet is basically oh, right. an ongoing, Lots of ca- okay, ongoing right. cabbage <laughs> cleanse. <yeah. laughs> right, okay,
0: <laughs> got it. So you'll relate to this. So it's so funny. So, like, my husband, my mom is like, okay, well, what are you going to make? And I'm like, oh, well, we just, you know, we just slaughtered one of our sheep. We're going to, I'll make some lamb. She's like, okay, cool. She's like, what should I bring? I was like, I don't know. My husband whispers, like, tell her. Don't make cabbage. So I laughed because, like, (laughs) but here's the funny thing. I didn't think about it because it's my mom, right? Like, my mom, you know, But like, our parents have these go-to things. He's like, your mom always makes cabbage, right? He's like, tell her not to make the cabbage. So I was like, all right, Mom, so I'm on the phone. I'm like, Mom, so, you know... Don't make cabbage, Mike. Just has done this cabbage cleanse thing, you know, whatever. So like a week goes by, and she's on the phone. It's like the day before we're we're gonna have this family gathering, and she's like, okay, so I'm gonna make the rice and peas, and I'll bring the cabbage. And Mike's like, I thought you told her don't bring the cabbage. I'm like, I did tell her not to bring. I'm like, I did. I told her not to make the cabbage. (laughs) But the funny thing is, it's a very Caribbean thing, also. But like Uh I forgot because it is like it's one of those things my mom always makes fried cabbage, like just always. But it's like I didn't even think about it because like. Whatever, it's like, you know what I mean? My mom, husband's like, tell her, don't make the cabbage. But of can't, course, she actually made the, the she made the cabbage, yeah. She made
2: the cabbage. <laughs> She's like, so what <laughs> she always what makes tons of you it. Is you want more cabbage? Right, so
0: you want the cabbage, <laughs> right, exactly. She's like, so I'll definitely bring my cabbage. You're like, okay. And then she makes so much of it, and like, she'll take leftovers for herself and then leave the cabbage, she leaves tons of cabbage actually very funny it just made me think of that i'm like <laughs> lots of cabbage
2: <laughs> my wife knows i mean cabbage is like my spirit vegetable and all of its various incarnations <laughs> and so like i mean i swear to god like i'm like captain planet and what like and sunshine you know you know how he needed that to like, go uh-huh. on. like for me it was like broccoli cauliflower cabbage like that stuff just gives me like <laughs> so the, funny like, it just make, gives me energy i don't know it's crazy
0: I love that. No, I get it, though. I have foods like that, too, though, for sure. Like, orange juice is like, I cannot live without it. Like, I don't even, I don't want a life without it. Like, I don't. I'm like, people start their day with, like, tea or coffee. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But, like, I need, like, and it's like, I'm, I'm, like, really stank about my orange juice, too. Like, very stank about it. (laughs) Like, no orange juice will just do. Like, I get angry about it. I'm like, what is this? Like, I I find myself getting genuinely perturbed, like, really pissed off. (laughs) <laughs> Look,
2: Khalees, I mean, I, I, I can totally get, I get that. I mean, there, I would say orange juice is one of the juices where you have the highest sort of gradient of quality. Absolutely, um, totally. It's like,
0: when it's wrong, it's infuriating.
2: <laughs> I took a little detour from talking about New York City because I was so curious to talk about Khalees' culinary training and the thing she's most obsessed about making. As I understand it, you started studying cooking in 2009, going to the Cordon Bleu. Yeah. Um, where you became a, a... Where you studied the arts of being a saussier. And if I understand correctly, Kalisa, you're really into sauce. Is that right?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of obsessed. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I went... To, obviously, the Cordon Bleu is a French school, and so it is sauce-heavy, I think, naturally. But yeah. I... I, I don't know. I think without really knowing it, I started to, I gravitated towards it, and I was thriving in it. I think it was just very natural for me, and I loved it. And then I, th- you know, I started thinking about like how I cook and the things that I love, and it's always because it's like drenched in something.
2: <laughs> the biggest cardinal sins at a holiday meal is not having gravy, and I oh it's no, just- it's just
0: wrong. No, no, it's like <laughs> how dare you? First of all, like, what are we supposed to do with this plate? <laughs> like what am I supposed? What is this? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah, no, I hate it, it when like, gravy.
2: or even if they have gravy and it's like comes in a tiny gravy boat. I'm like, come on now, like, yeah, I I, want a that is my single serving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want a
0: trough, <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, so that's mine. Yeah. Thank you for
2: yeah.
0: that. <laughs> you know, I think sauce is like, I always say like sauce is the defining factor. You know, it's like yeah. it tells you where you're at. You know, like we can make steak a million different ways, but like it's kind of like, what are we, what are we dipping it in? Is it chimichurri? Is it ahi? Is yeah. it You know, barbecue, is it a borderline? Like, where are we? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are we coming from? Sauce kind of, to me, is the, it's it's a deciding factor. It's the difference.
2: Okay. Bringing it back to New York City, one of the oh-so-charming things that you'll encounter here is comparison. Who's got the bigger apartment, the better location, the better rent, the cooler parties, the more prestigious job, and also, who discovered what first?
0: I remember being, like, probably in my early 20s and coming home from the club one night, it was, like, 3 a.m., and I called my mom, and I'm like, oh, my God, Mom, I found the most incredible falafel shawarma place. And she was, like, literally at 3 o'clock in the morning, she's like, oh, Mamoon's. I've been going there since the 70s. And I was like, oh, goodbye, and I just hung up. I'm like, She was so, like, been there, done that. But, like, Uh, Mamoon's on 3rd and McDougal is cracky. Yeah, So good. Um, Let's see, there used to be... They closed it, but there used to be a place called Georgie's in Harlem. Yeah. Hands down the most rockin' freaking, like, homemade donuts of all time. Like, incredible. It was, like, these old ladies in there just, like, slinging donuts, man. They had two. It was, like, jelly or glaze. That's it. Of course, Mm -hmm. Chris Reckane came and ruined all that. But, I mean, absolutely the best freaking, like, homemade donuts. Um, Let's see. What else do I love in New York?
2: By the way, what your mom did there is so New York City. I mean, that oh, is... so like...
0: stank. It's so stank. <laughs> she was so like, oh, mama's. <laughs> is... I was like, girl, bye. <laughs>
2: like... <laughs> what about like like street staples? Did you ever hit up like the halal carts or go to the bodegas for deli sandwiches? Oh,
0: yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Like the halal cart on 6th Avenue and like, was like 59th or something like that? That used to be bomb. My dad Uh, used to always take us to, like, uh, Grays Papaya just for, like, a banana daiquiri, which I still crave. mm. Um, Stuff like that, like pizza, like Lombardi's. It's like, you know, the regular, like, New York staple stuff.
2: Yeah, back at MoFad, I really wanted to, at some point, do some kind of deeper dive into halal carts. I just find them to be such an interesting phenomenon. Where no, it is, and it's know, only
0: New York. It's only New York. Yeah,
2: it's New York. It's it's a it's a particular flavor profile. It's like not quite South Asian. It's not quite Middle Eastern. Um, it's labeled as a halal cart, and most it's people New eat York. there are not. They're not halal. You know, no, and, it's in a fact, New York. Yeah. Freaking
0: like yeah. it's it's like you only get it there. Yeah, it's fast. It is del- that rice is delicious. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> like, and then you get like so good. you get like two, three very pale, thin slices of tomato that have been yeah. in the refrigerator are way too long, and then some like and you love um, it, and you're like, thank yeah, you yeah, yeah this. exactly. This it's all about te- it's just <laughs> and a textural contrast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the whole hot sauce, white sauce thing. I mean, and that will bring it back to sauce, right? I mean, those oh that, yeah like, ties it all together. If you've never been to New York City, or if you've been and you've never tried getting a chicken over rice or lamb over rice from the multitudes of halal carts across the city, do it. It'll set you back six bucks or so, and it's just such a fantastic explosion of umami, spice, fat, creaminess, and heat. And as far as I know, it's a dish, at least this configuration of the dish, that's uniquely of New York City. Next, we turn to another one of my favorite things to eat here, fried chicken. And some of the best stuff you can find in surprising places.
0: It's a very New York thing, I think, and it's very like cultural thing. But like the Chinese food that would come to the hood is different yeah. than anything else. Yeah, and yeah. it's amazing because they adapted to where they were at, right? And so, right. like, that fried wing that you would get through the bulletproof glass. Oh my God. Crack like it's game changing. You, I don't know what they were they, firing that wing in. I, you can't. Like, I, honestly, I've I never tell people. Had a better wing. <laughs> I tell people the best fried
2: chicken you can get is in like hood Chinese American yeah, restaurants. All yeah, all
0: day, like the best. It's the best. They put it yeah. in a wax bag. Yeah. Spr- put some hot sauce in the bag. Yeah. I mean, it was just oh man, like the best. It's, it's amazing that fried rice. It's so damn good. That yeah. stuff like that. And I, mean, I don't remember the name of that spot. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like, but oh, I remember like. Literally, I remember that spot being one of the best things that you've craved. It. It's like it was delicious. Or actually, for good Chinese food in New York, I would say like Sam's on, uh, yeah. what is that? It's 9th Street? 9th Street and. Let me see if I'm walking down. Is it Sixth Avenue?
2: <laughs> like you're doing, like the mental trip.
0: No, I'm literally. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm always thinking, like, okay, I'm like, I'm walking here. I'm like, okay, okay yeah, so that side of the street. That's where I'm like, I don't know what the address. Wait, wait, address. Don't, don't pay attention to that <laughs> naked guy
2: to your right, Achilles. Yeah, I'm just, like ignore look, that guy
0: in the roller skates and the freaking thong. Don't worry about him. Go past it, bypass him, If yep, yep. you want to go to Sam's. That's what. That's like, bomb ass noodle bar. Um, like just yeah, like it's always that. It's like that kind. of, Like for me. Obviously, there's like tons of amazing restaurants in New York. When I think about like my New York and like how I grew up and like the stuff that like was part of my everyday, every day, you know, like that's what we were eating every day.
2: There you have it. For me too, the soul of New York City food isn't necessarily in the fine dining or trendy spots. It's in the everyday. It's in that two dollar egg drop soup that I can order and sip right out of the pine container on the street. It's in the family-run business in your neighborhood that's slinging dosas or kachapuris or fufu or pierogies. It's in the steaming warm tamales that women magically pull out of blue coolers on the street. Pro tip, if you see people on the street and it looks like they're selling something out of a cooler, and it doesn't look like anything nefarious, obviously, go over there and order whatever's in there. It's probably delicious. Okay, so maybe this is what defines New York City food culture, that it's so diverse that it escapes definition. Jerobi put it well.
3: I feel like New York is the most amazing place to grow up around food, because every couple of blocks, the ethnicity of the neighborhood may change. And you can take a bus line, like we're talking about taking a train in Queens, and just taste other people's cuisines. You know what I mean? In New York, we definitely live separately, but to work and to go to school and to function, mm-hmm. everybody mixes together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and going to school, just going to school. Yo, son got rice and beans. This kid got noodles. You know what I mean? Right. This kid got ravioli. This got like, you know what I mean? So yeah, and
2: yeah, just yeah. in
3: going to school and being able to change lunches. Like, what are you eating? It's like, yo, <laughs> I've never had I've never had a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Are you kidding me? I've never <laughs> had, had oxtails before. You know what I mean? So was, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of that going on in that. We learned a lot about food. And just going in that and man, if you are able to leave your immediate neighborhood and to travel to other people's neighborhoods, you'll be able to taste the globe in New York City. I don't yeah. I think everybody is represented in New York City.
2: We're gonna close things out now with another track from Jerobi and Dress of Evitan. It's called Who Is This? If you check out the music video on YouTube, you get to see Jorobi spit rhymes while breaking down a chicken. It's got an irresistible bass groove that I love. Here is Who Is This? by Evertime.
3: It's like people hold on. To their old traditions That's why they stay stuck In the same position The way that my mind Avalanches and spills Keeps ladies Wanting to beat My tip drill They like, Jay. Hey, I'm saying You should practice your writing I try but in the moment It's much more exciting Every new bar is like Ocean air to Vikings Enticing Your shit's bland Mine's a spicy You got nice little patterns I smirk when you spit Seriously You can't hold a candle To my shit Even if you did It would be opaque Hey, you, your whole style is transparent and fake. Jerome, he said bars just like keep hold on. Can't handle the stress? Well, that's your fault. Huh. I'm one fine crafted bastard. Prime time, nice and you games on they asses. It's time, it was time to break your curfew. The head of the game, back
4: funky, fresh and new. Sick, sick like I got earl to give as a result. I grabbed the microphone as pissed a prelative fin in the folder. I spit in decent exposure and your people should've told you I could bring
3: it to a closure.
2: A Shout out to my guests Jarobi White and Khalise. By the way, if you want to learn how to make sauce like Khalise, check out her class on Skillshare. It's dope. Shout out to our music contributors, all New Yorkers, of course, and dress of Evitan, and Nicodemus. Shout out to the Food52 team and, above all, Coral Lee, who is the mastermind behind the curtain. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Peter Jake Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam.